You're listening to Country Music Success Stories featuring Music City mentor J.C. Don Valeris. Now, here's your host, Candy O'Terry. Nashville is one of those towns where you've got to take your time getting to know people. Give them respect. Share why you're there. You've got to bring your A-game if you want to get a great interview. But most of all, you've got to have good intentions. And we do. Our goal is to meet country music icons where they live, in their space, where they feel most comfortable. Press record, sit back, ask some great questions, and then do a whole lot of listening. What we're learning is that the road to success is long, and even though it's hard work, those who make it are full of gratitude because music is all they've ever wanted to do. I don't know what to do with myself if I can't go sing songs for people and try to make them happy. That's all I know how to do. That's multi-platinum selling artist Colin Ray. With 24 top 10 records and 16 number one hits, he is a solid recording artist and an incredible live performer who was hardwired for a career in country music. You see, music is literally in Colin's blood. His mother, Lois Ray, was only 17 when she and her sister opened for the Sun Records tour, starring Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and Jerry Lee Lewis. And she would go on to have a solo career and would bring her boys, Colin and Scott, on stage to sing harmonies. His father played bass and loved country music, which was always playing in their house in DeQueen, Arkansas. As we settled into this interview, recorded in Colin's very cozy townhouse just outside of Nashville, I asked him what he learned about music by watching his parents. We spent time as a family, instead of just watching TV, we would listen to records. And it made us realize, my brother and I, made us realize how important music was to them. And of course, you emulate your parents for the most part, you know, and and I remember daddy would bring home a a three or four new 45 singles, but whatever Merle Haggard's new record, Buck Owens' new record, whatever, and he'd put it on the stack and we'd listen to it and he'd listen. And then when it was over, he'd start them back over again, play them again. Then he would play them again. And that made us like, why does he want to keep listening to that? And I think that made me start paying attention. Why is this record doing that to him? Why is he that into this? So you start listening for little things why this record sounds so much better than this record and things like that. And Frank Sinatra, I mean, to, to switch gears, certainly not country music, but I remember when I was young and listening to Frank Sinatra singing, I go like, well, it's not that he's hitting that many big high notes or anything. Why is this so compelling to listen to? And I studied that. I mean, when I was a little kid, 10, 11 years old, I was listening to stuff like that and going, man, what is he doing? That? And, and then you, as, you, as I started trying to do it myself, I would take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and try to basically imitate as time went on, when I started looking, I think I can make a living doing this, but I better start finding my own sound because I don't need to sound like Don Henley or I don't need to sound like Lynn Campbell and eventually find your own sound. And my mom, she just loved music so much. We wanted to do music because it pleased her. You were on stage with her, you and your brother mm-hmm. singing harmony. Oh, yeah. Were you scared? Back in those days, the laws weren't as strict about kids being in the clubs. You know, as long as you didn't drink, you could bring your kids in a nightclub. And, and the, the, you know, the owner or the manager was just looking the other way. And so we would go into some of the clubs she was playing at. And my brother was a pretty darn good guitar player when he was six years old. I mean, he could play solos and stuff. He's like a prodigy. Wow, lots of And I was just kind of the little house. guy with a tambourine, you know, or a snare drum, you know, trying to with keep time. With a wicked good voice. <laughs> well, that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> and so, but we would go in and, and, and play there. So I think we just were so used to being around musicians 
and being around live performance, we had no fear. So when we did get old enough, we were starting to get pretty good, pretty good, good enough to have our own band. We had no fear whatsoever. In fact, we, we probably made a lot of mistakes. People go, what are they doing? They're not ready for this. But we were so hungry to be out there in front of people that we probably should have spent a little more time honing our craft <laughs> before we just dove in. Paint me a picture of your hometown. It was kind of nice. It was reminded you of Mayberry a little bit, like on the Andy Griffith show. We didn't live there very long because Texarkana, which is a much bigger town, is like 50 miles away. And it's like 50,000 people or so, you know. So my dad wanted to move there. But so by the time I was in the first grade, we were living 50 miles away in, in the bigger town. But as the years went by and my mom and dad eventually got divorced and mama was raising us by herself, she worked a regular job during the week and then played music on the weekends. So she would drive us back to the Queen and we'd stay with my grandmother for the weekend at her house and so stuff. So it still feels like it was your hometown. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's a street named after you. It sure is still there, and they haven't taken it away from me yet. I got to say, too, they did it very early on in my career. By the time Love Me hit number one, which was my second single, they were already doing this. They had co- contacted the governor. Okay, we're gonna, we want permission to name this stretch of highway Colin Ray Drive. Let's catch him oh, right yeah, they, now. <laughs> they didn't waste any time. So therefore, it meant even more to me because it wasn't like I'd been around a long time. You know, it was, it was a, a brand new thing, and they were that proud of me. There's a lot of red tape to go through to get a highway named after you. You change your birth name from Floyd Colin Ray, W-R-A-Y, to Colin Ray. And as a radio person, I have so much respect for that. Well, you have to change your name sometimes. <laughs> yeah, of course well, you technically do. Technically, and- my, my real name is Floyd Elliot Ray. Oh, my. But so Colin wasn't Colin. Yeah, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) But see, everybody always called me Bubba growing up because I was a little brother, and he always he called me Bubba. So everybody called me Bubba. So in school, that's what I went by. And even in my twenties, when we had bands out west and working in Nevada and all that, I was Bubba Ray. I'm really glad you're not Bubba Ray anymore. (laughs) Everybody said it doesn't fit you, but that's just what I went by. And so when I got signed with Sony, one of the first meetings we had was okay. Let's talk about your name. I didn't come up with Colin. They did. And my manager agreed to it. Next thing you know, your name's Colin Ray. But a name really does matter oh. because it needs to be yeah. memorable, right? right? So right. I'm kind of glad you're not Bubba Ray anymore. Sometimes you're just not born with a stage name. 1990, here we are, Epic Records at that time. Mm-hmm. Number one song, All I Can Be. Take me back to recording that song. And did you know when you were recording it? This thing might have some legs. Well, we hoped, you know, and again, I had had a record deal five years before with my band, with the Rays, on Mercury Polygram. So we'd had a little taste of it. And that album went nowhere. So this was my second shot at it. And I had learned a little bit from the first time. So I felt like I knew what a good song was. But again, until you start chalking up the hits, you're guessing. And you're very much dependent on your producers. Like, I think this is good. Do you think it's good? That song, All I Can Be Is A Sweet Memory, was written by Harlan Howard, one of the greatest songwriters of all time. That's a pretty good start. It was a new song he had written. All I can be is a sweet memory of someone you had to leave behind. Who loves you and needs you, but never could So tonight we'll just borrow each other Tomorrow we'll find we've run out of time And all I can be is a 
And Vince Gill had sang the demo to that that I learned it off of. Because Vince had done a lot of demos before he broke as an artist. And so I listened to Vince and I said, okay, I'm going to sing it like Vince. And so I learned it like that. And then John Hobbs, who was my co-producer at the time, and Vince were very good friends. And so he got Vince to come in and sing harmony on it. So he sings with me pretty much through the entire record. Let's take a second and talk about the power of music videos when it came to growing an artist in the 1990s. TNN and CMT were a big part of country music in the 90s. We would not have had the careers we all had from Garth on down had it not been for TNN and CMT. Because, I mean, it was country music in your face nonstop, 24 hours a day. Videos became a big thing. And the, the video to that song shot up to number one. So I thought, okay, well, somebody likes me. <laughs> and so we knew that we had it. We we're off to a good start. And then the next single, Love Me, went to number one really fast. Back-to-back number one songs. It's hard to do that. You must have felt like you were on a roll. Were there times at that point where you were pinching yourself going, hey, I think I might be pretty good at this thing? Well, I had been close to the mountaintop five years before, and it went nowhere. So I thought this rug could come out from under me at any time. But once Love Me became number one so quickly and stayed at number one for three weeks and nominated for Song of the Year, Single of the Year, okay, then I thought, okay, I think I'm here. I think I can take a deep breath now because we've got something good going. If you get there before I do Don't give up on me I'll meet you when my chores are through I don't know how long I'll be But I'm not gonna let you down Darling, wait and see and between now and then, till I see you again, I'll be loving you. Love me. And then the next single was Every Second and went to number two, was only blocked from number one by Achy Breaky Heart, <laughs> which one of the biggest hits of all time. I hit number two, and that week, Achy Breaky was like at 21. <laughs> Something like that. And the, and so they thought, Colin, you got another number one next week. We're, we're going to have a number one party up at the label and everything. And Hanky Ray Yard jumped from like 21 <laughs> to one. Like, oh, and, and blocked me. And so, I, so and it stayed number one for a while. So I've kind of hovered there for a couple of weeks and then dropped it. At that point, it looked like I had radio's ear and the radio liked me. You start to have this long list of hits. And you're playing bigger venues and people mm-hmm. are mouthing the words to your songs and yeah. you're on TNN and country music loves you. Were you in a place where people were treating you differently? Oh, yeah. You don't really ever think about how people react to you, how that's going to change. And that came really fast. It was like overnight, whoa, it got crazy really fast. I mean, I've known people that if they're going to go to Walmart, they're going to dress up in their look so that when they walk in, they're hoping somebody goes, oh, there he is. That must be him, you know. And I was never that guy. I always tried to hide it, you know, as I've got a, I always had like a baseball cap on or something. I liked separating my job from my life. And if you do that, it keeps you grounded and you realize your identity is not in how well you're doing on the charts. That's your job. You have to treat that as your career and keep it separate. Your identity has to be something bigger than I'm a star because that star can fade fast. One of the things that I wanted to share with you that we have in common 
is our friendship with Jim Brickman. Oh, I love Jim. Jim Brickman and I met each other when he used to call me at the radio station because he wanted me to play his songs. Yeah. And he he and I used to sing jingles to one another on the phone because, of course, he got his start writing and Mm -hmm. singing jingles and the Muppets and the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Wonderful writer. When you had your big hit with Susan Ashton, The Gift, Mm -hmm. I must have played that 499 million trillion billion times, okay? But Jim knew that I loved that song, and he knew that I was a singer my whole life. So when he came to Boston, I sang that song with him, and then he let me record that song. And I've always wanted to meet you and say, I love that song. Thank you for singing it, too. When a snow is falling down, children laughing all around, lights are turning on like a fairy tale come true. Sitting by the fire we made, you're the answer when I prayed I would find someone, and baby, I found you. Jim is an instrumentalist primarily. Of course. And most of his big hits are easy listening instrumental hits. But once in a while, he writes something Beth with Nielsen lyrics. Beth Chapman's right. worked with him. So many Oh, people. yeah, Martina. Yeah. So he wants a singer on it. And uh, so when The Gift came about, and I'd never met Susan Ashton, but I'd heard her. I knew, I knew how she sang. My producer, Paul Worley, suggested that. And, and so we, when we, Jim was in the studio when we cut that, and it was, I knew that was kind of a magical record. And it wound up being kind of a Christmas song, although he didn't originally intend it to be. And all I want is to hold you forever. All I need is you more every day. You saved my heart from being broken apart. You gave your love away. It was just maybe the time of year that it came out, and the fact it was called The Gift, it sort of became this Christmas song. And every year, for remember Delilah? The, of course, the, the, I know the, her well. For years, for years and years, she would always play that heavily on her show during the holidays and stuff. So that I thought, well, we kind of got an accidental Christmas hit. You know? has a life of its own all across the country. <laughs> Everybody needs someone who believes in them. Oh, yeah. And a champion who opens doors for them, who believes in them. Throughout the course of your career, have you had someone like that? It never came easy. I didn't know a power broker in the business, so to speak, that was going to try to crash some doors down. So we knew we were going to have to do it the hard way and just be seen enough, record enough, save up all our money and record little demos and make 45s, believing that we could hire this one promoter and could actually make them hits, which we quickly realized that's not going to happen. But I never really had anybody that that took the bull by the horns and went out and tried to get a deal until I met Jerry Fuller through a friend of a friend of a friend who came up from Los Angeles and and listened to me in Reno and saw me live and said, yeah, I want to do something with you. So he made the demos. We cut about six tracks in Los Angeles in his studio. said, I went back to Reno, went back to work two weeks later, I had a deal. So he became that guy that the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And he knew Bob Montgomery over at Sony very, very well. 
and uh, said, yeah, I got this kid, Bubba, and he's great. Here you go. Listen to this. What do you think? And Bubba, okay, if you, if you think he's good, let's sign him. You know, one of the things that makes you so exceptional is not only the list of hits, but also your longevity in this business. Thank you. You are just about to head out on tour. You're going to get on a tour bus. You're going to be able mm-hmm. to be out with your fans again yeah. after this horrible time in all of our lives for the past yeah. year. How does that feel? You must be so excited about oh, it. chomping at the bit. I mean, we've been cooped up for so long not being able to play. You can always find good in anything if you look hard enough. And one good thing that has come from this being taken away from me is it makes you appreciate how much you missed it, how big a part of my life it actually is, not being able to play for people. Not the money. It's the fact that I don't know what to do with myself if I can't go sing songs for people and try to make them happy. That's all I know how to do. How are you going to feel when you plug in and that mic goes live and those people are clapping again? It'll be amazing. That is my comfort zone. There's so many things in life that I'm not comfortable with, but boy, I'm comfortable with that. It's literally like riding a bicycle. I mean, I've just done it so much since I was 15 years old. That's all I know. This is such a huge body of work. What are you most proud of? I always try to be versatile. A marketing person might say, well, that's not good. The bigger stars do the exact same thing all the time. That way people know immediately that's who that is. And I always tried to throw a wider loop. I would always try to make every album a little different than the one before. I'm proud of that fact. And I'm also proud of that so many of the songs, not all of them, because I had some some fun, silly rock and stuff, too. But for the most part, a lot of it was kind of socially relevant material that really struck a chord with people like uh, Little Rock. I think I'm on a roll here in Little Rock. I'm solid as a stone, baby, wait and see. I got just one small problem here in Little Rock. Without you, baby, I'm not or love me, or uh, one boy, one girl. I think about you. Not that different. That's my story. That's my th- exactly. That's my story. Oh, that's my story. Well, I ain't got a witness, and I can't prove it, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. The songs have lasted. We didn't cut any junk. Lyrics always meant something to me. When I write songs, lyrics are the primary reason I write the song. To me, melody and chord progression is basically just a concrete foundation to paint your lyrics on. Last question, and we ask everybody who sits where you are this question. Fill in the blank. The key to my success in country music has been what? Persistence and just never accepting no for an answer. And God, he gives you what you need. That's my philosophy of life. I could have very easily have not met Jerry Fuller, not got a deal with Bob Montgomery, and not got love me handed to me straight out of the gate. You know, there's a lot of things that could have went the other way. I still know I would have continued to sing and play music and just make a living at it some way because that's that's just all I know to do and all I want to do. But he allowed it to happen to me, and, and I was able to bless a lot of other people through the success that he gave me. And people say, oh, I can't believe you still sound the same. Well, that's because he wants me to. When he's done with me doing this, I won't be able to do this anymore. And then I'll know he's done with it, and it's time for me to go home. Colin Ray, I want to say thank you so much for welcoming us into your beautiful home and for sharing your story on Country Music Success Stories. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, how is that for a story filled with inspiration? I can tell you firsthand that Colin Ray is one of the kindest people you will ever meet in country music. Hi, I'm JC Don Valeris, your Music City mentor. Not only has Colin been a client of mine for many years, but he's also been a good friend, and I was so excited when he agreed to be a guest on our podcast. One of the things I admire the most about Colin is his support of young artists in the music industry and his willingness to help whenever he can. I asked Colin about his advice for new artists just getting started, and his answer was unique and spot on. You need to get in a band, and then that band's going to break up, and then get in another band. And then that one may break up and get in another. By the time you get to about your third band, you should know what you're doing and know who you are. Because I think a lot of people that, that are gifted with, a, with great pipes and they can sing, but they don't know quite what to do with it. Like, you know, always call it pageant singing. You know, where you have somebody that can just, huh, you know, can, can stand out there and do Rodgers and Hammerstein just and wail, but doesn't translate those lyrics in a way that, that makes someone listen on the radio and want to turn it up and go, oh, that's just making me feel something. I was always the youngest guy in the band. I was always the kid. Even if I was the up guy up front, I still was the youngest guy in the band. And I always listened to everybody else. And you can, you can only get that experience in, in a band situation because cause then you're a team, you know, and your brothers, your sisters, and, and we're all in this together. And it's almost like being on a, an athlete on a sports team, you know, that, that feeling of camaraderie. I wanted to be in a band like the Eagles where you had several lead singers, not just one, and everyone was singing harmony and everybody was right, everybody contributed. You know, that's what I wanted. As it turned out, I, that wasn't what was meant to be because by the time I got my deal, every, all those guys had gone. <laughs> so it was just me and some other guys I barely knew, but I wouldn't trade anything for those times because that, that not, not just the camaraderie of it, but what I learned from those guys, that's, that's my advice for any young person getting a band. Colin is right. The experience of being on stage and performing with a live band will put you light years ahead of artists who have never had that opportunity. It will really help you develop as a vocalist and as a musician. One of the worst things that can happen to an artist is being thrown into a live situation that you are not prepared for. It's a whole different world being on stage singing to a karaoke track than it is to be on a stage filled with live musicians. Everything changes, the sound of the room, the feel of the groove, and most of all, the communication that happens to keep things moving. And you can't really teach that. It has to be felt and experienced. You might be asking yourself, how on earth am I going to find a band? If you live in a small town like the one I grew up in, it's not always easy. But today, I'm going to share a few tips on how you can begin your search. And before you know it, you might just have a band. Tip number one, reach out to a local recording studio. Chances are there is a studio somewhere around your town or in the closest city. Call a studio and ask if they can recommend a few musicians who might be looking for extra work. Take down their information and reach out. Be sure to send them some of your material and let them know what kinds of gigs you have booked or are looking to book. Next, ask at a local university. Most universities have music departments and their students are eager to perform. Post a physical ad or a flyer in their music wing, and also connect with someone who is running their online message board. Singers post on there all the time, looking for band members and musicians to back them up. 
A plus to getting a college student to play for you is that they are usually really hungry to begin performing. A college musician is also likely to know other college musicians, and they can help bring other players on to work with you. Number three, go out to gigs and meet live musicians. I've said it before, and I will say it a million times over and over again. There is nothing like real live networking. Go out to any of your local venues or places where live musicians perform regularly and introduce yourself. Chances are, if they aren't looking for a gig, they may know someone who is. Leave behind a business card and you might just get a phone call. Tip number four, do an online search or post to your social media. Your online network is huge, and chances are there are local musicians somewhere in that mix. If you aren't already connected to someone directly, that's okay. You might have a friend or a family member who is. Let them know that you are looking to put a band together and see what kinds of connections you can make. One last tip, and I get asked this question all the time. How should you approach a musician who is already playing for another artist? Here is my advice on the proper etiquette for this. A lot of times, a certain group of musicians can really lend themselves to the sound of an artist, so you want to be respectful of the fact that they have created this sound and that they have worked hard as a team to do this. But no independent musician belongs to any one singer, unless, of course, they've been contracted for a tour or have some kind of exclusive agreement with the artist. With that being said, I always think transparency is key in whatever you're doing. And in this case, you don't want to seem sleazy or secretive by sneaking backstage and asking a musician to leave the group that they're already with and play with you. You don't want the artist to think you're trying to steal their people. So the best way to go about this is to simply ask the other artist for their contact information. This shows a great deal of respect for that artist, and it won't feel like you're trying to solicit their musicians behind their back. Reaching out with the blessing of the other artist is going to put you at ease and it will also show the other musicians that you understand the protocol and that you are acting in a professional way. I hope this helps you in your journey to start performing with a band. Like Colin said, there really is no better experience you can gain. More wisdom you can use from Music City mentor, J.C. Don Valeris. Inspired by multi-platinum selling artist, Colin Ray. For a free tip sheet from JC, just go to candioterry.com backslash country music podcast. Subscribe to JC's YouTube channel called Music City Mentor and check out our vlog for behind the scenes footage of our adventures on the road recording these stories. If you liked country music success stories, subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Bookmark our website, please. Countrymusicsuccessstories.com. Follow us on social at Candio Terry and at JC Don Valeris. Our Facebook and IG handles are at Country Music Success Stories. We've got more legends to meet and stories to tell. Until next time, this is Candio Terry saying thank you for listening to Country Music Success Stories, where the stars tell you how to make it in Nashville. <laughs>